title of our uh, lesson tonight is Hope in the Scriptures. Now, have you ever asked yourself, what is the purpose of the Bible? What's the, what's the purpose of the Bible? Well, it turns out that the Bible, we could probably sit here and talk about that all night because the Bible has a lot of purposes. Um, it, of course, is to uh, tell us who God is, right? Uh, that's, that's how you find all about who God is, is in the Bible. That's one of its purposes. It's, another purpose is to tell us who we are, especially in relation to God. That's another uh, purpose of the Bible. You could go on and, and on. But tonight, Paul is going to focus on one very specific purpose of the Bible. Okay, it, it is very, very important for us, and he's going to focus uh, explicitly on one purpose of the Bible. Now, in order to understand why we need the Bible for this specific purpose or for this specific reason, we need to go back to the beginning. Now, when I say back to the beginning, I don't mean back to the beginning of Genesis. I mean back to the beginning of our Christian life. In fact, back before our Christian life began to the time when we were not saved, okay? Because everybody here, there was a time in your life when you got saved. So there was a time that you were a lost sinner. How many of y'all can remember sitting in church and being uncomfortable? Anybody? Yeah, there's a few hands. Uh, there's something about not being saved and sitting in church and the preacher's preaching, it is just, you know, <laughs> man, you're just looking at your watch, you're, you know, you're looking something to read, you're just trying to, you're very uncomfortable, you just, you don't want to hear uh, what they're saying. Now, let me say this, sometimes we go through life and we look at other people, especially successful people, and we think, you know, they, you know, they got it all together, uh, they probably don't really care about God or, or eternity. They probably don't think about death or judgment. Let me tell you, that is an absolute lie. Everybody thinks about those things. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has put eternity into the heart of every man and every woman. Everybody thinks about death. Everybody thinks about eternity. Everybody thinks about what's on the other side. Everybody thinks about the bad things they've done. Everybody. You're not the only one. Everybody thinks about that. So here you've got these people coming to church, and they think about these things, right, as they're, as they're sitting out there and, they're, and the preacher's preaching, and, and they're thinking, boy, you know, I really probably should do something about this, and I, I hope I'm a good enough person. And so everybody comes to the point at some point in their life where you've heard the message. You've heard that all people are sinners, that, that we've all sinned, and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. You've heard, Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin are, are death. You've heard the message that those who disobey God are under the wrath of, of God. You've heard all of that stuff, sometimes for years and years and years and years. And then one day, for some reason, you might be sitting in a church, you might be sitting in a car talking to a friend, and they're witnessing to you, but for some reason, one day, um, I heard a, a testimony one time, somebody was sitting in a jail cell, and somebody played amazing, sang Amazing Grace, and they got saved right there. Just that song, right? They had heard that song 10,000 times, but that one time, 
it sounded different than they'd ever heard it before. One day you hear the message, and for some reason, that one time, you know it's the truth. And the deepest part of your heart, you know it's the truth. For the very first time, you really hear the good news. You hear the preacher say that God is, is rich unto all who will call upon him. You hear Romans 10, 9, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You hear the invitation, come and drink freely from the water of life. You hear it for the very first time. And for the very first time in your life, the gospel of Jesus Christ makes perfect sense. It is the truest thing you've ever heard and you it's like somebody just lifted the scales off your eyes which by the way is exactly what happened he lifted the scales off of your eyes now sometimes it's emotional sometimes it's not but for whatever reason what you do in that moment is you let finally let go of all your resistance and you humbly bow in your heart whether you do it on your knees or not you you give everything you have to Jesus Christ and right in that moment, whether you know it or not, a miracle happens. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, creates new life in you, something that never existed before. You're, spiritually, you were dead, and now you are spiritually alive. One moment before, uh, in that moment right there, something just rises in your heart. And that thing that rises in your heart, you probably can't even put a finger on it. You can't put a, 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 maybe a description. But the thing that rises in your heart is what the Bible calls hope. A confident expectation that all of this is now mine. Forgiveness is mine. Acceptance is mine. Peace is mine. The promises of the Bible, they're all mine. See, in that moment, one moment before you were a child of wrath, a child of sin, a child of the flesh. Now, you are a child of God. You have been born again. Listen to 1 Peter 1.3 and how he describes it. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope. We're going to talk about that word tonight that word hope tonight, an awful lot. Talk about what it is and why it means so much in the life of a born-again Christian. Now, in that moment, you've been saved, you've been born again. That is the very moment that you need to start being on your guard. 1 Corinthians 16.3 says this, Be on your guard. What does that mean, by the way? What does it mean to be on your guard? It means you need to be looking around. You need to be watching your back. You need to be, you need to be, somebody's coming for you. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. Now, here's why you need to be on your guard. And I have heard this over and over and over again. I've had people come to me and say, man, there's something wrong. And I'll say, what's wrong? And they'll say, well, when I got saved, man, I was on top of the world. I felt invincible. And here I am six months later, and I, I'm just struggling. I'm struggling with guilt. I'm struggling with fear. I'm struggling again with shame. I thought all that stuff was over. See, that's a lie from Satan. See, one of the things that Satan will come in and he'll tell you, he says, man, you're, you're going to be... You, people think that they're going to be free from struggle. 
And when struggle comes back, they're like, what happened? Am I not saved anymore? Did I, did I fall away? Am I backslidden? I can't tell you how many people, after they've been saved, have come and told me, I think there's something wrong. Pray for me. But you see, that's a lie from the enemy that there's not going to be any more struggle. See, when we're born again, we're not born to a life without struggle. You're not free from struggle. You are going to continue to struggle for the, all of your life. Because here's the fact, we are born again to battle. We are born again to war. And of all things that this battle centers around, and you would, most people say, what do you think the battle? And they'd say, well, it's, it's about faith. Well, it is, but the Bible tells us more than anything, it centers around your hope. Let me give you some scriptures on this. Hebrews 6.11 says this, We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Hebrews 6.23 said this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And of course, Colossians 1.21-23 says this, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Do you hear what Paul is saying, and, and, or the author of Hebrews and Paul are saying in these? Hold on to your hope. Fight for your hope. Something's trying to take your hope away. You need to hold on to that to the very end. You see, whether we realize it or not, the great battle, the great struggle for the Christian life is the battle to sustain our hope. See, we have to see our future. Hope is all about something you can't yet see, right? It's, it's, it's looking forward. We have to be able to look to our future and know that there's something there way better than what I see here. That's hope. That's a living hope, Paul says. Now, the question is for you and I, how do we win this battle? Paul says, sustain your hope. Keep hoping all the way to the end. How do we sustain our hope? How do we keep our hope alive? You fight the battle with the Word of God. That's what Paul's going to tell us tonight. You fight the battle for hope using the Word of God. Now, let's come to our passage and we're going to read it. Uh, Romans 15, 1 through 4. He says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now, you may have, for those of you that have been here for, for weeks and have been sitting here and we've been going through all these chapters, you might have noticed something that Paul does. And he does this all the time, which I think is, is pretty amazing. you got to understand, Paul is an apostle. An apostle means a messenger sent from Christ. He, as he's writing these letters, as he's writing uh, uh, Philippians, as he's writing to the Colossian church, as he's writing to the Roman church, he's writing Scripture, right? That's what he's doing. He's writing Scripture under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And here we are later, we go back and we read the New Testament. We read these letters and we're reading them as Scripture. 
But one of the things that Paul does over and over and over again is even as he is writing Scripture, he's quoting Scripture. Even as he sits down to write Scripture, he's quoting Old Testament Scriptures that are already written. He does it over and over and over again. Let me give you an example. Uh, Romans 12, 9. We studied this several weeks ago. Paul says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, because, that's what the word for, because it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Right there when he's writing the letter, he's quoting Deuteronomy 32, 25, which, or 35, which says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay for the time when their foot shall slip. So he's quoting, he's writing Scripture, but he's quoting Scripture. So Paul is giving us a New Testament command here, do not avenge yourself. And then to back that up, he quotes an Old Testament promise. Basically, what he's saying is to us, he's saying, hey, God will settle your accounts. You don't have to get your own vengeance. You don't have to go out and figure it all out for yourself. Just cast your cares, cast your vent, all, everything, put it on him, and he'll take care of it. And what is the effect of that if you believe it? What it does, it lifts the burden of vengeance. It, it, it allows you to walk through this life without having to carry the burden of trying to be God and, and make sure justice is done around every corner. See, Scripture teaches us that when it comes to us getting our own revenge, we should just let Him do it. Put your hope in Him. See, it's not that Paul's saying there's not going to be any justice. Every, every word will be held accountable before Him. So it's not that he's, he's saying there's no justice. He's saying just put your hope in the future. He'll take care of that in His own time. And, if, and by the way, if you really believe that, you can do miraculous things like loving your enemies, actually doing good to people who mis mistreat you. Why? Because you put your hope in the vengeance of God. You put your hope in God and not in your own... Everybody with me? See, so don't miss what Paul is doing. He's, he's illustrating by his own use of Scripture how he wants us to use Scripture. See, what we should be doing with Scripture is we should be reading it. We should be meditating on it. We should be studying it. Uh, we should be sitting under teaching. We should be believing it. And when we do that, when we put our hope in the promises of God, our hope gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger, even in bad times. Now, Paul in Romans 12 doesn't come right out and say, you need to trust in the Scriptures. You need to battle for hope with the Scriptures. He kind of implies it by showing how crucial the Scriptures are, okay? But in Romans 15, he's, he's, going to kind of, he's not going to try to imply anything. He's going to come out and make a very explicit statement that this is what the Bible is for. That is to awaken and sustain your hope and my hope. Let's read verses 1 through 2 again. Paul says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So, just as he did in Romans 12, he's giving us a New Testament command. Everybody with me? He's saying, man, don't look out for yourself. Look out for your weaker brother. 
Put, put your rights and your things in your back. Put them in your back pocket. That's not what this is about. It's about looking out for the faith of others. So that's the New Testament command. To back it up, he does something that is kind of surprising to me, and it's also, I think, you'll see pretty cool. And here's what he says. Verse 3. Now let me back up again. I want you to see the command. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And then in verse 3, he says this, because Christ did not please himself. Okay? Now, he's, he wants us to put our, our self-sacrifice, to, to basically put our rights and our needs and our wants aside and build our neighbors up. Everybody with me? And in order to back to, to, to kind of uh, push us toward that or encourage us, he brings up the example of Jesus Christ. He says, even Christ didn't please himself. Now, by the way, that's not surprising at all, right, that he would do that. Because we know all throughout Paul's writings, he constantly tells us things like Ephesians 5, 2, Christ loved us and died for us and gave himself up for us. And Philippians 2, 6 he says, Jesus, who was in the very nature God, didn't consider, he didn't think equality with God being something that he had to hold on to, but he gave it up to come down here and die for us. So we've got numerous scriptures like that that show Jesus uh, giving himself up. So the fact that Paul would use Jesus' sacrifice as an example to encourage us to show self-sacrifice that's not surprising. In fact, it, it's pretty obvious that he would do that. What is surprising is where he goes to get an illustration, okay? I, I would have almost expected Paul to say something like this. Hey, why don't you sacrifice like Jesus did? Do you remember when he was in the upper room and he, and he, and he took off his robe and he girded himself with a towel and he washed his disciples' feet? Be like that guy. That's, you would expect him to go to an example of Jesus' life. He could have even said, look what Jesus did on the cross. Notice how he gave himself on the cross. He died for you so that you might have life. Sacrifice like he did. He could have went to numerous examples from Jesus' life to validate what he's saying, but he doesn't. What he does is almost unbelievable to me. Instead of actually using an example from Jesus' life, he goes to the Old Testament and he quotes the Scripture. Okay? Let's read it, verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. A reproach, by the way, is like a, an insult or a taunt. He's saying the, the insults of those who insulted God have fallen on me. Now, right there he's quoting Psalm 69.9. Psalm 69.9 says this, Zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Okay, now this, let's think a minute about what Paul is doing, because this is important. Paul wants us to deny ourselves and love one another. He's been teaching us that pretty much all from chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. And he supports that command, deny yourself with the example of Jesus. But instead of giving us an example from Jesus' life, like the foot washing at the Last Supper, 
He quotes a scripture that was written a thousand years before Jesus was born. Now that, that's a, that's, that's no, you should notice stuff like that. Why would he do that? Why would you go back a thousand years before Jesus even was on the earth and quote a scripture from way back then? Let me tell you a couple things. Do you understand how high a regard for scripture Paul must have in order to do that? Now you think about that. He wants to, he's trying to encourage us to motivate us to be practice self-denial. And instead of using an example from Jesus' life, he uses a scripture that was written a thousand years before Jesus came. What a high regard he must have for scripture. In fact, I think Paul is doing, I think Paul is making a point here about the importance of scripture. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go back to uh, the chapter 14, and we won't go through it. But if you go back and read all of chapter 14, it's all about believers getting along with one another. Everybody remember the whole eat meat, drink wine, all of this kind of stuff, observe days. Chapter 14 is all about you and I getting along with one another. And he gave us a lot of really good reasons that we should get along with one another. Some, in fact, some of them were some very deep theological truths. Now here at the beginning of chapter 15, he's reached for the biggest gun that he's got. He wants to motivate you. The biggest gun he's got, he said, look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus did. Look at what God himself did. Christ did not please himself. But instead of telling a story or using an example from Jesus' life, he quotes Psalm 69, 9. Now, I want you to watch what he does. He stops right there. He stops the flow of what he's talking about, and he comments on what he just did. Okay? Let's read it all together. First, he gives us the command. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Here's the motivation. For Christ did not please himself. And here's how he proves it. As it is written... The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And then out of the blue, Paul says, For because whatever was written in Psalms or in Genesis or anywhere in the Old Testament was written in former days for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. He's basically saying, Okay, guys, I just quoted scripture to illustrate the self-denying love of Christ. And you might think it's a strange thing that I did that. So I'm going to pause here and tell you why I just quoted scripture. In fact, I'm going to tell you why I do that all the time in my writing. And what he gives us in in verse 4 is one of the most important verses in the Bible about the role of scripture in your life. Okay, let me say it again. Romans 15, 4, one of the most important verses in all the Bible about the role of Scripture in your life. Let's read it again. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, you and I might have hope. See, this is what this is Paul is saying. This is the purpose of the Bible. It's not the only purpose. But he says it's written to awaken and sustain your hope. All right? Now, 
you got to understand, in our life, we need to sustain our hope, okay? We need it when, in good times, because let me tell you, in good times, you know what we do, don't you? We start fading away. We don't really need him that much because we've got plenty of money in the bank. We don't need him that much because everything's going good. I've got a good job, the bills are paid, food on the table, the kids aren't sick, everybody's doing great. And you just start to drift away. And in times of great suffering, sometimes there's a danger of losing hope as well. Because you start to doubt the sovereignty of God. So it doesn't matter if it's good times or bad times in your life. And you're going through one or the other. You need scripture to sustain your hope. See, reading your Bible in good times and bad sustains your hope. Reading your Bible, studying your Bible, believing your Bible, whether it's in good times or bad times, that sustains your hope. Remember what Paul said earlier. We got great things waiting on us if, if you sustain your hope to the end. I want to give you three truths from Romans 15.4. And this won't be a long lesson tonight. Three truths from Romans 15.4. Number one, all Scripture is given for our instruction. Again, he said it right up front. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Now, I focus on this first because I think most of us, if we're not careful, we want to skip it. Um, Some people said, I've heard, we want the fruit without laboring in the vineyard. Um, I'm planting a garden this year and it ain't going good, right? It's just not going good. And I'm looking for cucumbers and tomatoes and squash and It ain't looking, my hope is fading, right? Um, We want the fruit. There's a lot of labor goes into getting cucumbers and squash and tomatoes, right? It's a lot of labor. It's it's out there in the sand gnats and the dirt and the heat. We want to just, I just want to sometimes, let's just go to Winn-Dixie and buy it, right? Um, Sometimes we want the shortcuts. And we're impatient about that. We live in a culture that's impatient for those kind of things. But Paul says the the Scriptures are for instruction. That literally means teaching. We have to be willing to learn. If you want to sustain your hope, if you want to be encouraged by the Scriptures, you have to be willing to learn. Now, again, I always give kudos to you guys. You could be a lot of places tonight, but you're sitting in a Bible study. You are doing exactly what you need to do to sustain your hope exactly what you need to do to sustain your hope. Listen, not everybody has to be a scholar. Okay, You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to know Greek or Hebrew or any of those things. But I'm here to tell you, the better you can read the Bible and the better you can understand the Bible, the more you're going to be able to grasp its teaching and the more hope you're going to have and the more encouragement you're going to have. I was watching, I put the picture of the Amish, I was watching a a video this week. I, I, uh, I like to look at other people groups and especially religions and kind of see where they come from. And I, and I learned something really interesting about the Amish. So the Amish, if you go back to the, the, the Reformation, um, and um, they were a group of people that left Europe and came to America. And I don't remember their leader's name. It was something Amish or Amish and Oms or something like that. Anyway, they came over here and they brought the German Bible. Now remember, back in the Catholic days, in the in the um, uh, uh, the dark times, 
no, the, the Bibles were all in Greek, right? Nobody could read Greek anymore. So the only people could, that could read Greek were the educated people, the, the farmers and the tradesmen and the housewives and people like that. Nobody could read the Bible until some brave men gave their life to actually translate that Greek Bible into the languages like English and German. So these guys, for the first time in their life over in Europe, they were able to open a German Bible and read it. And they saw, what they saw just astounded them because they'd never been able to read it before. And so they were under persecution, so they packed up their people and they came to America and they brought that German Bible and they they started these Amish communities. Now, some 300 years has gone by and I had no idea this is true. Did you know that if you go to an Amish they meet in, they don't have a church, they have homes. Did you know today that they will open a Bible and the Bible they open is in German? And there's not a single person in the room that can read German or understand German or speak German. They all speak English or Pennsylvania Dutch. So they're reading a Bible. They have a Bible that nobody understands. Can you believe that? That's insane. And they think it's... Uh, they think it's um, sinful to read an English Bible. See, the point is, is that the Bible, you can have all this religious stuff going on. You can have a Bible sitting front and center by your bed and a front and center uh, on the altar at your church. But if you can't understand the Bible, you got a big problem. you got a real big problem. You and I should, we, we live in, the, if not the freest nation there's ever been. You, you can go buy Bibles anywhere you want, as many as you want. If you don't want to read one made out of paper, you can read it online. You can read it, read it, read it. And most of us, it sits there and gets dusty. We have to read the Bible, study the Bible, be willing to learn the Bible in order to sustain our hope. Number two, all Scripture is intended by God to give endurance and encouragement. Again, look at verse 4. Because whatever Paul says was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13, He who endures to the end will be saved. Okay? You have to make it to the end. He who He doesn't say... Listen, if you can just get two years under your belt, you're good. He doesn't say that, does he? He who endures to the end will be saved. Endurance, by the way, is when you keep going when you don't feel like it. Endurance is when you keep pushing when everybody around you says you need to stop. Endurance is is when you say when everything is against you and you just keep pressing, you just keep moving, you just keep going. See, the fact is, where does that endurance come from? Paul says it comes from the Word of God. It comes from the Scriptures. That's what he said. It was written for us for the endurance. Now, in, by the way, endurance comes from other places. Anybody know one of the things in our life that produces endurance? Suffering. Suffering produces endurance. You want endurance? You can get it out of suffering. You can get it from the Word of God. It's a lot easier to get it from the Word of God. But we've got to read it. We've got to study it. We've got to meditate on it. We've got to sit under good teaching. We've got to sit under good preaching. We've got to believe it. Let me give you a couple of examples. 
of encouragement of the scriptures. Let's say I'm going through a bad time. Okay? I got some things going on at work or I got some things going on at school or in my neighborhood or wherever and, and just there's just some, some 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 stuff happening. And I open my Bible, for example, to Psalms one, and I read this. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. Or maybe I turn over to the New Testament and I read 2 Corinthians 4, where it says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How do you not read that and not be encouraged? That just, that's just got encouragement. That's like shooting encouragement right into your veins. I mean, it's just, I mean, that's what it's meant to do. But you got to open that Bible. You got to read that Bible. You got to study that Bible. You got to meditate that Bible. You got to know where to go to find these things that are in there. See, the Bible, well, here's the great thing about the Bible. We tend to, as human beings, we go through situations and we see everything through our eyes, right? We see the suffering through our eyes, what it means to me, how it hurts me, how do I feel, what do I want, what do I need? Because that's just the way we operate as human beings. The Bible always shows you what it looks like through God's eyes. The Bible will always give you God's perspective on what you're going through. And that makes a hard situation endurable. Number three. All Scripture has this goal, to sustain our hope. Let's read it one more time, Romans 15, 4. Because whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. There's a, you've all heard this, no pain, no gain, right? People work out or go through diets or whatever. You, 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 wanna have, you don't want to get something, you gotta, you got to endure some pain. Now, that may well be true, but let me tell you, the reverse is certainly true as well. If you can't be sure there's gain on the other end, you're not going to endure the pain. Right? If you're not sure that there's gain on the other end, then there's no reason for you to go through the pain. What the Scripture does is it always shows you the gain. There it is. It's coming. It's going to be good. He's going to reward you. Keep holding on. Keep pressing. Keep moving. Keep fighting. That's what Scripture does. It helps us see beyond the pain, beyond the suffering, beyond the trials. See, this is where the Bible, the Word of God, Scripture becomes absolutely essential. Because let me tell you, you will go through times in your life where your feelings will tell you to quit. Your feelings will tell you it's not worth it. Just quit. I've been there. I have, I have been there. And, and people around you, Pastor Henry about preached the whole lesson uh, Sunday if you were here. Remember? Don't hang around people 
People, what does encouragement mean? It means to give you courage. What does discouragement mean? It means to take courage away from you. Don't hang around people who discourage you. Right? But, but, but they're there. But I can tell you, when you go to that Bible, when you go to that Scripture, it always encourages. It always puts courage into you. And it's not just words on a page. The Holy Spirit who's inside of you has the ability to take that truth and do something incredible, miraculous with it. It's not just this, oh man, i got to grip my way through this. i gotta, I got to make it. No, that's, that's not the Christian life. In fact, I, I wrote that down. Christian endurance is not just teeth gritting willpower against all odds. That's not what we're doing. It's hope that keeps me going. It's hope. I think about I don't know about you, but I think about it every day of my life. What if, what if today is my last day? What if this is it? What if, what if this is it? You know, sometimes it's one... I, I, we see it every day, right? People just going through life, and they get that one phone call, or they, they go around a corner, and there's a head-on collision. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to paint this doom and gloom type of thing, but the fact is, I think about it every day. What is, if this is my last day, am I ready? Have I done all I can do? Have I fulfilled my purpose in my generation? See, I know what's on the other side. I know where I'm going, and I'm ready. that's, That's hope, folks. Hope is what sustains my faith. Hope is what sustains my Christian life. I'm not just, I'm not just, you know, going against all odds to, to get there. So if that's true, if hope is what keeps us going, if the battle for endurance is the battle to keep on hoping, then every single person in this room should, should never, ever forget Romans 15.4. Because what Romans 15.4 tells us is the battle to keep on hoping is won through the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, as always, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the incredible... Scripture written by your servant Paul uh, some 2,000 years ago, and we say it every week, how relevant it still is. Uh, Culture may change, technology changes, all these things change, but the Word of God does not change. You don't change. Your ways don't change. Christianity doesn't change. People are still people, and we belong to you. And the the way it works then is the way it still works now. There is no plan B. God, help us, as we've often said, through the Holy Spirit, to make this word real to us. If there's someone here tonight that hasn't been reading their Bible, that hasn't been daily getting in the Scriptures and and to sustain their hope, then somehow, some way tonight, Lord, just reinvigorate, reinvigorate their courage, reinvigorate their determination, reinvigorate them to get back in your word. Because that's what you do, Holy Spirit. Don't let us lay it aside. Don't let us take it lightly. But let us take advantage of the one weapon you've given us to sustain our hope, the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. We love you and we thank you and we give you the praise for all that's done in Jesus' name. Amen.